0: lesson, which is also our sermon text from the day, it comes from the Gospel of John. Uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 1, even though that wasn't included in today's lectionary text, but I'm going to start in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 42, and let me just remind you, this is God's word to us, it's given to us because He loves us. Call your husband and come here. The woman woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, ...and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, Well, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Well, just then His disciples came back, and they marveled that He was talking with a woman... But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. But meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Is anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, and he told, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, but having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your love is an ocean vast of blessing, a haven sweet of rest. And we need that this morning. We need an ocean of blessing and a haven sweet of rest. We need your love, and that's what we need to hear now is the voice of love. and so we pray that through all the many voices that we hear in our heads, our hearts and souls and all around us, that above them all, we'd hear your voice. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus name and by your holy Spirit. Amen. So around the time uh, that Hurricane Sandy recovery was winding down, uh, that's what, for those of you who don't know, uh, that's what I did for three years after. Hurricane Sandy hit our city. Uh, As that was winding down and we were in the process of launching Resurrection Sheepshead Bay, down in the Sheepshead Bay neighborhood, in the midst of coming out of three very tiring and exhausting years of disaster relief ministry, which I didn't go into those three years with the healthiest of habits and patterns and certainly didn't improve upon them during those three years of busyness, Coming out of all that, I was desperately in need of a change. I needed to take a long, hard look at personal habits and lifestyle choices in terms of overworking, self-care, and habits of self-medicating that were not serving me well. And really needed to make some drastic changes. But I needed more than just a change of habit. I needed a change at a fundamental level. Level. If I was ever going to even have a chance of changing how I was choosing to live day by day. I needed a fundamental change of how I viewed God and who I was as his creation. As a human being. Because the way that I was leaning into life and the tools that I had previously used to answer those questions. Who is God and who who am I? They were not serving me. I mean, they were just flat out not working, period. I had the right theology. I knew the right things to say and to teach and to preach, but it was not affecting change in my life. You see, the primary way that I looked at God was that God was our great drill sergeant, and therefore I am made to be his good soldier. That the reason God forgives And redeems us is then to turn us into the Navy SEALs for Jesus. To go out there in the world and get stuff done for Him. And I know that for many of you that rings true. That you you too identify with what I'm describing. That you primarily see our life with Christ through the lens of Christ the activist. Jesus came to renew and transform this world that was broken and therefore we too are meant to be active for him and there is certainly truth to that we are meant indeed to participate in God's activity to renew and transform this world that he entrusted to us to steward there's definitely truth in that and you know we all we all tend to latch on to some aspect of God as his primary attribute the thing that is about god and then to interpret ourselves accordingly you know most of us begin the christian life by encountering and meeting christ the forgiver jesus by his cross pays the penalty for our sin we deserve true because primarily what we are are sinners and then we eventually maybe move on to christ the teacher Here to instruct us to what is truth and shape and form a correct worldview. And then to work to protect that truth because primarily we are thinkers. And then maybe we encounter Christ, the healer, the one who comes to fix me. To fix my brokenness and make straight what is bent and twisted because primarily we are wounded. And there are truth and there's truth in all of these. But I think in all of them, I think we struggle and never are quite sure that God loves me. Yes, God forgives me, but, you know, he kind of does so reluctantly just because he has to, kind of just putting up with me. And he approves of me to the degree that I am repentant of my sin. Yes, God is here to teach me, but he is only pleased with me to the degree that my thinking lines up with what is Right and correct. Yes, God is here to use me, but he's only satisfied with me to the degree that I produce measurable results. God is here to heal me. That's true, but he's only for me to the degree that my life is substantially changed. But never am I quite sure that he actually loves me. Just loves me. Just because. And that's definitely what I struggled with. And thankfully at that time I at a time that I desperately needed it, God began to speak to me through the voices of others, through friends, through my wife, and through teachers, preachers, authors, theologians. He began to speak to me through their voices to help me encounter Jesus in a way that I don't think I had ever really quite fully appreciated up to that point in my life. Christ the Lover. Christ the Lover. And this encounter got a hold of me. And while I still struggle to take hold back and hold on, this has become the primary way that I have sought to see God and who I am. And therefore, what is the goal of this life? I believe this with everything in me, that this is the central truth to our life, that we were made by God's love for God's love. You hear me say that over and over again. But I believe it, that this is what Jesus came to do and what the Spirit came To empower this ever deepening mystical union with Christ the Lover. This is our glory. This is our greatest truth. And I also believe this is our hope. Because we all thirst for life. But we all know what it means to keep finding ourselves as the prophet Jeremiah described as having forsaken the spring of living water to go and to dig for ourselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. I really just want you to believe that God doesn't just forgive you, God doesn't just truth you, God doesn't just use you or change you, He actually does love you. And if you're tired of hearing that from me, I'm not sorry. As one of my preaching professors said in seminary, dare to be boring. And this passage in the Bible, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, was one of the integral passages at that time in my life when I began to shift how I primarily viewed God and began to see that the story of Scripture is an encounter of a lover with his beloved. I want you to remember that John's Gospel opens, part of chapter 1, that that beautiful chapter in all the Bible, but part of chapter 1 opens with the verse, Jesus came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. And that's where we find ourselves in the story, and when we get to chapter 4 in John's gospel. Jesus has been and is being rejected by his own people. So he leaves and he goes somewhere else. Because Jesus is a lover in pursuit of a beloved. So he goes to not his own people, the Samaritans, blood traitors. Jews despise the Samaritans because they commingled with all the occupying forces that have been subjugating the Jewish homeland for generations. Not just the Romans, but all the ones before them Assyrians, Babylonians, etc. And so in a Samaritan town, Jesus meets a woman at a well and he makes himself vulnerable to her. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm thirsty. Will you give me something to drink? And by doing so, you get little tidbits in the passage, right? And by doing so, he is opening himself up to all sorts of social impropriety. And this lady gets it right away. I mean, I don't know. She seems to me like she's kind of feisty, she's brash, she's confrontational, she's kind of looking for a fight. You know, she basically says, Huh? You're a man, I'm a woman. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, and you ask me for a drink of water? And it's game on. <laughs> and so it begins this exchange, this give and take, this back and forth between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I think if you think about it a little bit, it sounds kind of like a lover's quarrel. A heated argument. Jesus says back to her, if you'd known who's asking You'd ask me for a drink. And she's like, how are you going to get water? You don't even have a bucket. (laughs) Oh, I'm not talking about this water, Jesus says. I'm talking about living water. Okay, well, how about you give me, a woman, some of this living water if you're so clever? Jesus says, okay, I will. Go get your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Unfortunately, I wish we had a little more like those parentheses that John likes to throw in there where we could know like the tone with which she said these words. We don't, but we do know that whatever the case, what we do know is that she tells the truth. She doesn't lie, doesn't hide, doesn't make up excuses, dodge it, evade it. She just tells the truth. And that truth is heavy for a woman in the ancient Near East. In multiple ways. I mean Jesus just seems to twist the dagger deeper. Yeah I know. I know. In fact you've had five husbands. And the one you live with now is not your husband. You've been drinking from a lot of cisterns. And that water has not satisfied you. Now at this point I think she thinks Jesus is just there to shame her. She thinks Jesus is some sort of prophet. Well, how could he have known that, right? So you must be some sort of prophet. You see my broken relationships, and you judge me for it. Just like the Jews judge us about everything. Everything. They judge us and condemn us. And most especially, they judge us how to worship God correctly. So, you think, because I don't, love men correctly, then I guess I don't love God correctly either, and you're just here to shame me. She expects that Jesus is now going to, you know, push her away, you know, invoke cultural and social norms. (laughs) He just draws her in more. Oh, you want to talk about how to love God? I'm so glad that you brought that up, because that's exactly what I'm here to talk about. Because God is seeking people like you right now. He wants people who have broken love, but who have the courage to stand before me and tell the truth about it. To tell the truth about their brokenness. People who are ready to stop playing games and bring all their brokenness up to the altar and offer all of it. Not just the best parts, all of it. Our whole selves. That's what I'm looking for. Those are who are ready to worship me in spirit. By spirit, the word here is we're talking about wind, life, vitality, desire, and truth. And by truth, we just mean honesty. And the Samaritan woman is like, God wants me? He wants me? He wants my broken love towards him? Well, you know, maybe one day God will send someone this Christ, and he'll tell me that that is true. Maybe someday someone will come and tell me that's true. And the lover answers, I am he. I am he. All along, Jesus has been hinting that he can satisfy her. He can satisfy her desire for water, for life, for rest, for love. You want God to come and tell you that he wants you? I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here telling you right now. It is time for you to set your love on God. I'm here to satisfy your thirst with springs of living water. I'm here to take all your broken love, all your truth telling about who you are, not at some other time, not on some other mountain, right now. I'm here. She goes and she... She, right away, goes and tells the whole town where, I mean, you know, she's not Miss Congeniality. you got to come meet this guy. He gets me. He gets me. And the whole town of Samaritans, the rejects, they come and find that Jesus gets them too. And it's the rejects who are the first. To believe. Jesus is seeking his beloved. Jesus is seeking his beloved. (laughs) We this lovesick people. (laughs) Trying to find the one who can satisfy our thirst. He wants us. It's terrifying. I'm sure... She was terrified. I certainly was terrified those many years ago when I began to try to grapple with this. But she encountered not rejection, not condemnation, not correction, but embrace. And that's what I want this church to be. That's why I say the same things over and over and over again. Really, Jameson does too. It's okay. All the great preachers, they basically say the same thing over and over. It's what we want this church to be. Not a church that thinks everything right all the time. Does everything right all the time. But one that turns to God together truthfully and says, Will you love us? Will you love us? And to hear back the voice of love that says... Yes, I do. I'm seeking you. I'm pursuing you. I'm going after you all the time in every way. Yes, I love you. And then to invite others, this field that Jesus says is ripe for harvest. To invite others to simply come and hear the same. The voice of the beloved. Pursuing the one that he loves. Mm Thank you.